This is the Bodar Blast by the USS Decatur, with your host, Lieutenant Junior Raid, Daniel Earl. All views expressed on this show are not those of the United States Navy and made by the individuals who are on the show. All music used is used with the permission of the songwriter or is royalty-free. This is a feature production of the USS Decatur and is made free to use and free for all the families and supporters of the USS Decatur DDG-73. Old and dear. And I'm Lieutenant Junior Grade Daniel Orlick, and uh, welcome back to the USS Decatur. It's been a couple weeks since I've last talked to you, but I'm very excited to uh, be back for our sixth episode of the Bodar Blast, and I'm excited to have you with me for uh, this next hour-long show. We've actually started extending our podcast a little bit longer. Uh, we heard some feedback from all of you back at home that you really enjoy our interviews, and so I've tried to extend our interviews more and more to where you get to hear uh, the stories of the individuals that are on here, the stories of what make those people who they are today in the Navy. And I, I think that it is a really important uh, message to share uh, is is not just you know what's your job what's your rate uh, what do you do on the ship but also kind of what got you here uh, what makes you tick and what do you do outside of work um, but I'll talk to you more about our, our interview later on today but uh, very excited to be back after a few weeks away from the podcast we spent a little week and a half in Guam uh, so I was I was definitely along with the rest of the crew, uh, very much chilling out on the beach, at the hotels. Um, the hospitality in Guam was excellent. Um, the local population was very nice, very pleasant. So uh, Guam Guam was very, just the, the, the hospitality was great. Uh, I know I stayed at a couple of hotels out in town. I know a bunch of our sailors stay out in uh, hotels around town as well. Uh, we had sailors go uh, to the beach quite a bit, uh, was what I heard. Um, beaches on Guam are amazing, uh, rivaling some of the other best beaches in, in the Pacific Ocean, including Hawaii and, uh, Bora Bora. Uh, just some amazing beaches. Guam is, uh, I actually learned this on Guam, uh, here's a little fact here, a little factoid is, uh, that, uh, Guam's northern half is made out of, is created out of coral reefs. Uh, and its southern half is volcanic, so it, it's two different halves that kind of melded into one island, and that's why the roads, especially up in the as everything slides to the other half of the room, uh, as I'll explain later on, um, the roads uh, are a little bit slicker than uh, you would experience in the mainland United States or other places because they're made from coral the, the 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 coral concentrate in the northern part of the island causes them to get slicker uh which can lead to accidents um guam do not appreciate their traffic um very bad traffic on the island uh but you know being from home ported in san diego you get used to bad traffic uh we were up on the uh, uh naval station there uh so a bunch of really cool uh other ships around. Uh, I got to see the MRS Land, which is a, uh, a uh, ship that you don't normally get to see, a support ship uh, that you rarely get to see, as long as the, as well as the rest of the Nimitz Strike Group went to Guam as well. Uh, but our sailors also uh, went snorkeling. Uh, we had sailors go hiking. Uh, we had sailors go to nature reserves. Um, the, the snorkeling on the island was amazing. I've, I've had sailors tell me that they saw stingrays and sharks and um, it, it is very, I mean, there's, there's a very shallow swimming area, especially in Tumon Bay and Guam. And then as you, uh, <laughs> as you hit the edge of the reef, it's just a drop off thousands of feet. And it's, it's pretty typical for, uh, Pacific islands out here, but, uh, really cool stay in Guam. Uh, definitely spent, I think there's a lot of people that can say this more money than, uh, I expected. Uh, but that's just the nature of the beast for being in a port for a week and a half. Um, good food, Chamorro, uh, barbecue, and uh, and some of the local flair. So uh, overall, just an amazing port visit. Uh, got some maintenance done. 
uh, on the ship side of things. Uh, but it was a really good chance for our crew to relax and enjoy the, the, the port. And that's what really matters. Um, after that, we, we got back out to sea. Uh, we've been uh, we've been moving around quite a bit. Um, you can definitely hear the uh, wail of the engines behind me, and uh, you know, it, it moving back and forth, rocking back and forth. You're gonna hear some bamming and then some slamming and things rocking back and forth and slamming into each other from rocking around, and um, that's just life at sea. And uh, your 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 family members or friends that are sailors on the ship will tell you that. Often you have things rock around quite a bit. You slam in the bulkheads. It's you get used to um, getting used to the motion of the ocean out here, uh, especially when the seas are a little bit higher or we're going a little bit faster. So um, went back out to sea. Uh, we've uh, participated in a couple events that uh, I'll tell you about in a week or two. Uh, but we we've gotten to participate in a few events. And, uh, and, uh, how could I forget as well that, uh, we also, uh, had an award ceremony, so we got to recognize some of our sailors that have, uh, really achieved a lot over the, the last little bit, um, uh, last year's, uh, sailors that were leaving, um, including some of our officers that were leaving, uh, with Navy Achievement. Uh, Navy and Marine Corps achievement medals, um, as well as sailors getting their uh, enlisted surface warfare specialist pins. Um, the enlisted war surface warfare specialist pin is a series of qualifications uh, mixed with uh, knowledge-based uh, uh, boards that uh, enlisted sailors go through uh, to determine that they have the specialized knowledge uh, of the overall surface Navy itself and being on a surface ship to be able to consider some, themselves a surface warfare officer specialist. Um, it is a very uh, prestigious pin to have. It's the silver pin with the sword and rapier. And uh, it is a very high achievement to receive uh, in a sailor's career. So if you had a sailor that earned their uh, East Wasp pin, as we call it, uh, that's that's huge, and you should be very very proud of them. Um, we also had uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade Davies, uh, which you should be seeing on our social media by now, uh, earned his Swopin uh, Surface Warfare Officer pin, uh, which is very similar to an East Wasp pin, but for officers, uh, it's a series of over 20 qualifications, along with uh, uh, multiple boards, culminating in your Officer to Deck qualification and your Surface Warfare Officer. Uh, pinning qualification. Um, it's over 40 different boards uh, for different qualifications. It is depth and breadth of knowledge that is tested throughout the process of a year to two years uh, on board. Uh, so, and it is the crowning ch achievement for a surface warfare junior officer. Um, and it is the gateway to going to um, our second tour in our careers. Uh, in the surface warfare community. So, uh, to Sam, uh, congratulations, buddy. Um, it's awesome seeing you get doused with the seawater, and and I can't wait for more of us to join you. So, um, really good on him. The tradition of getting doused in seawater continues uh, as the captain will dip the surface warfare officer's pin in a pail of seawater, pin them, and then a, uh, an officer of their choosing will douse them in uh, seawater. Um, so, and it, it is to make sure that the, the sea crust, the salty crust of the sea, uh, uh, crusts the, uh, the swopin. So, that is tradition. Uh, and moving on with uh, tradition, uh, we last weekend had our crossing the line ceremony. So, um, USS Decatur, along with the Nimitz Strike Group, crossed south of the uh, equator into the southern hemisphere for a short period of time. And so the crew was able to complete the crossing the line ceremony, which is a major uh, achievement for everyone uh, here, but is also uh, a piece of Navy tradition. So 
when you cross uh, south of the equator, uh, or you cross the equator for the first time in your uh, Navy career uh, at sea, uh, you do what's called the crossing the line uh, ceremony. And so, trusty shellbacks, uh, which are personnel that have crossed the line before, uh, run the ceremony. And everybody that has not crossed the line before is a known as slimy wog or slimy polywog. Um, slimy, filthy, dirty, whatever you want to call us, polywog. Well, I, along with approximately half to two thirds of the crew, uh, had never crossed the line before, and so we were all slimy polywogs. And the ceremony uh, begins with the arrival of King Neptune and his court. Um, and goes along through the traditions of King Neptune and his court being here and the crew, especially the polywogs, needing to welcome him with proper ceremonial gestures including uh, a series of tasks and tests throughout the day in order to be properly accepted by King Neptune, um, his baby, and Davy Jones, his messenger, uh, his court. Um, and in order to be properly accepted by them to uh, to be cleansed by King Neptune's uh, uh, fresh water. And so it's a, it's a Navy tradition that has stemmed back uh, since the Pirate Ages, actually. And uh, very fun tradition. Um, I can't talk about too much about the specifics of what happens for it. Um, everything is very safe and we all had a great time, a uh, great safe time, uh, with a little bit of challenges. So, uh, but that's all part of the process is that in order to be transformed from a, a slimy polywog to a trusty shellback, you must endure challenges and be placed into your com uh, out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, definitely was placed out of my comfort zone uh, for that morning, uh, but had an awesome time and proud to say just like the rest of uh, the polywogs that went through uh, we banded together and we are all now trusty shellbacks so uh, we all get certificates and it is something that you get to hold throughout the rest of your Navy career in your life that you got to the equator while at sea so uh, really awesome time uh, shout out to all my shellbacks out there uh, on the ship and all of you listening at home because uh, I know there's some shellbacks out there listening at home and definitely probably remember tougher uh, experiences getting their shellback as well um, but being excited that they got it and did that experience so and then finally our sailors have been all working towards uh, qualifications and continuing to improve the ship so uh, congratulations to all of our sailors that have recently worked for qualifications, uh, getting those more advanced qualifications, working up the uh, watch bill. It really helps out the ship, and so if your sailor has recently earned a major qualification or has been able to uh, reach out to you over our awesome Starlink system to tell you about their achievements, please uh, give them, give them a, a hand for that, because it, it is a lot of work. Um, we are approximately halfway through our deployment and uh, the days go by um, and it seems all the same to all of us so getting a major achievement such as a major qualification or a swirl pin or shellback uh, is is an important achievement because it breaks up the monotony so uh, congratulations to all of them and now we're going to head into our interview with uh, someone who I've been dying to have on for a few weeks. Um, I work with him very closely. He's our Command Master at Arms Assistant Anti-Terrorism Officer. Uh, it's Master at Arms First Class Patrick Moore. Uh, he's a 10-year uh, Navy veteran, uh, has been in for 10 years. Uh, awesome, awesome person. I've learned a lot from him. And uh, we had an awesome interview. Uh, you'll get to learn a lot more about uh, what he does as a master at arms, what he does on board, um, a lot more of how he got to this point in the Navy, what drives him, and then a little bit more about uh, his personality, who he is, what he does in his free time, and maybe even some things he he definitely hasn't told anyone before, 
uh, including a new segment at the end of this uh, interview. Uh, next week, we'll be introducing a newer segment uh, that'll be uh, uh, replacing around the mess decks for a little bit. Uh, so stay tuned. We've got a really fun uh, segment that'll be flip-flopping out with our around the mess decks. But uh, without further ado, uh, MA one more. And I'm here with our Master at Arms, First Class Command, Master at Arms, Assistant Anti-Terrorism Officer, whatever else we really task him with, uh, and my uh, colleague and co-worker in the anti-terrorism uh, team, uh, MA1 Patrick Moore. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Bodar Blast. I know you've been asking for a while to be on here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm excited to see... Uh what we have here and uh, I'm, I'm glad to, and honored to be a part of the the podcast so i appreciate it yeah so is this your first podcast ever you've been on uh i've been on a couple uh you know um ones with my friends who were interested in podcasts before but i think this is my first official one that's going to be broadcasted and streamed for the world essentially so. yeah well uh and for everybody at home if uh you haven't heard already uh so I'm reminding it for you throughout this episode, we are now streaming on Spotify and Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can download us too and hear the wonderful voice of MA1. So uh, MA1, um, we would work together super closely. I kind of know your background, but um, what kind of what, what's been your career progression through the Navy? You've been in for almost ten years at this point. Uh, yes, sir. Um... So I started my Navy career uh, in November of 2012, uh, a couple months after I graduated high school. Um, my parents were stationed in Millington, Tennessee, so I was fortunate enough to join the Navy out of there. Um, I was able to go into Millington, into the PERS buildings, and I was able to not really have an interview, but talk with different rates of these uh, senior people who've done you know, Navy for a little bit. So. I spoke with MMs, I spoke with, you know, the Navy SEALs. I thought I was going to be a Navy SEAL for a little bit, but I decided to choose the greatest rate in my eyes, which is the Master at Arms. Um, and then I, my first duty station was uh, CRG2, Debt Bahrain, which was a uh, very, very uh, enjoyable, I guess, duty station for me. I was able to explore the Fifth Fleet uh, AOR. I was able to travel yet still feel like I was at the tip of the spear. Uh, some of the mission sets and the um, taskings we were given out there was um, was definitely not what I expected when I joined the Navy. So um, I got to enjoy a little bit out there. Uh, my next duty station was the USS John C. Stennis, uh, Mighty 7-4, which is an aircraft carrier. At the time, it was stationed in Bremerton, Washington. Um, and I got to enjoy out there. I was there for a couple months before we did a 7th Fleet deployment and then got to go around the world there. Um, my next duty station was Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam, which was, uh, that's where I'm originally from. I'm from Hawaii. I graduated high school from Hawaii, so going back home was awesome. The food was amazing, uh, and I got to work there. And then after that, uh, I was doing my duties, um, and I was stopped by a four-star admiral. Uh, his name was Admiral Colina, and uh, he was, you know, asked me some questions. And the next thing you know, uh, I was hand-selected by him to join his team at Pack Fleet. Um, it was a great tour there at Pack Fleet. I got to learn a lot about leadership, and especially from that, uh, I guess, altitude or I guess that higher headquarters vision. Um, it's a lot different than being, you know, I guess boots on the ground and. You know, me being the guy at the gate just checking IDs and then seeing it from the highest level like he did. It was kind of um, a game changer for me. Um, and then I decided to come here to the USS Decatur out of San Diego. And then, um, yeah, I've just been doing my thing here. I just hit a little bit over 10 years. It was, uh, it's, it's been fun. Yeah, so um, of those tours, really, what was kind of your favorite tour? Um, like what was what was your favorite assignment that you've ever got? Um, I would say favorite. Ooh. Favorite, I would say honestly, the destroyer. Um, now that I've been to you know the 
biggest platforms, which is like the aircraft carrier. I've been to, you know, the small units, uh, but still, you know, tip of the spear type of commands, um, or even a higher headquarters staff gig. Um, the DDG has opened my eyes to the real Navy, you know. Um, everyone here has more than one job. Everyone here uh, works hard. It's It gives you a good, um, I guess, culture of hard work and makes you want to achieve and be successful with the different things that you have to do here. Um, obviously, being on this deployment now, you kind of see the world. Um, we're able to pull into different ports than I've ever been to. So I would say this DDG, uh, especially as an MA-1, it's, they say it's one of the hardest billets for an MA-1 independent duty. Um, learning all my different programs, you really learn a lot here and you got, you got to learn it quick because the CO asked for a question, you, you owe that to him. So uh, definitely uh, Decatur's been my favorite gig so far. Yeah, and I mean, we've learned a lot together uh, in, a, in the anti-terrorism program. I work with you like every day. I see you every day. Yes, sir. Um, so, and it's been awesome working with you. We started working together kind of last year. It's been almost a year that we've, we've been working together in anti-terrorism. And uh, we've, we've brought this program through force protection exercise and all of that. Um, what was it like working at Pack Fleet? Like, what, what, what was it like working for an admiral directly? And um, what, what were some of your enjoyable parts with that? I would say, sir, um, upon getting there, I was definitely starstruck, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, with, with him being there. Um, I was able to sit back and observe a lot. Uh, a lot of people think that once people get to that type of level, they don't care about the people, but I would say Admiral Alcalino was probably the most caring person I've probably had the opportunity to work for. He was very genuine, um, and he always was concerned about me. His family was concerned about me. Um, being there at the motor pool there and taking care of, you know, not only Admiral Colino, but other tenant commands or PACOM. Uh, they had other DBs that would come down and ask for the services at motor pool. That was... Uh, awesome because you were able to network and connect with people from different backgrounds not only just from you know the american standpoint as far as like american military i was able to interact with you know koreans the japanese um some of these other countries within the nato community or the nato council i guess um and it was very intriguing just to see the culture differences between everyone but they were still able to unite be and accomplish the overall mission, which is obviously maintain peace around the world. Um, so it was definitely an experience there, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, so you come from a Navy background. Um, I do. What got you into the Navy? Like, what, what, why did you want to join? Uh, I wasn't the greatest kid in the world, and, uh, you know, I felt that I kind of owed it to my parents, especially my mom. Um, especially with everything she's been through. Um, so I decided to follow in her footsteps and decided to join the Navy out of Memphis or Millington, Tennessee. Um, I wasn't in a great crowd out there. I realized I wasn't really doing anything initially after I graduated high school. And my parents said, you could either get a job or uh, go to school. Um, so at first I wanted to join the Marines and then I realized when I got to the recruiting station, this wasn't for me. Um, and finally, that's when my mom said, why don't you just look at the Navy? And so once I looked at different rates and whatnot, I decided to join. Um, at that time, my mom was just a lieutenant and I was very interested in, and I saw how much respect she had from her peers or the personnel that worked for her. Um, and I kind of wanted to embody that joining the Navy. I felt that I had great leadership qualities, you know, playing sports growing up as a kid. I wanted to see if I could obtain that same, you know, respect and honor, I guess, that she had. Um, 
so that's what initially made me join the Navy. What kept me Navy is, I would say, just the ability to always learn something, the opportunities that the Navy has given me. Um, I was able to get a college degree, and people who really know me know that I never thought about school or going to college. The word education wasn't in my vocabulary back then, but I was, I've been able to um, obviously ob obtain a college degree and, again, travel the world, learn different qualities, traits, um, and I feel like it's made me not only a better leader, but a better man to take accountability, responsibility. So I feel like that's what, A, got me in the Navy and what kept me in the Navy. Yeah, and um, what did you get your education in? What was your degree in? Um, sir, I would say uh, the degree I got was just an associate's degree in general education. Um, I guess, like I said earlier, I wasn't the greatest at school, so I was kind of nervous. I didn't know what to expect walking into you know, uh, any type of college. Um, I got my degree from Excelsior, Excelsior College or University, and they were very open to, you know, obviously the TA that the, you're able to get from the Navy, and they helped build those building blocks for me to eventually make me be successful within school. Um, I would say that it, I'm still hungry to obtain more, so I have plans to eventually get my bachelor's degree in um, either cybersecurity or national uh, security, staying within the, I guess, security round for MAs. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you're, I mean, you're doing amazing things, and you got picked up and have already gotten your uh, some gifts from people from the other officers on the ship sending you up for getting commissioned in August of this year. Uh, you picked up limited duty officer, you're going to be a security officer, uh, yes, so uh, been helping you out on that. I know we've had some good talks about, you know, setting you up to, to be an officer and what it's like to be an officer. So what made you want to do the limited duty officer program? And, and for everybody that doesn't know it, what 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 is the limited duty officer program? Uh, the limited duty officer program is a program that's within the Navy that allows um, the enlisted personnel to um, become a naval officer um, not necessarily without a degree but you're able to enter this program and not have a degree and still be able to commission having a degree yes makes you more competitive um, it kind of gives you a little bit more edge on some individuals because for every other Navy program you need a Navy degree or they help you get a Navy degree like Seaman Admiral program um, but uh, my, again, my mother, Lynn Wall, Commander Lynn Wall, uh, she uh, is the main reason why I decided to chase after you know, the limited duty officer program. Seeing what she was able to start from, she was an undead seaman recruit um, on an AOE, which is like an oiler um, for the Navy. Seeing her start from there and watching her initially start as a single mother raising me, and you know growing up we didn't have the best circumstances but she always made it work for me and then eventually saying to where she is now and knowing that she has I guess been a trailblazer for me and uh, obtaining this I guess dream or goal that I've set for myself so that way I can one day you know relieve her and now that I, I have been selected um, I've realized how big of a deal it truly is you know learning these different um, qualities and I guess decision making tools that I have to have in my back pocket experiences especially as a limited duty officer uh, limited duty officer that's what kind of makes us different than most officers is that we have that enlisted background we have that technical expertise to help support you know the warfighters as well as the pilots you know submariners um, the intel officers so I feel like that is that is who helped me get to becoming a limited duty officer but yeah proud of where I'm at where I'm at and I th I don't think I would be here without you know 
my previous chiefs, you know, my other MAs who are out here who kept me just as hungry. They kept me humbled. They always told me that there's always more. You don't just stop once you're a limited duty officer. You keep learning. You keep pushing. You still got more people to take care of. And the scope of responsibilities is going to be a, a lot larger. So I'm ready for the challenge. I'm excited. Yeah. So you talk about your mentors and I know we've talked about some of your mentors. I've met some of them. So who are some of your biggest mentors? Who's pushed you along besides your mother? Um, who else has pushed you uh, to, to achieve what you've done in the Navy? So I have a couple. Um, obviously, um, I have some that are limited duty officers because that's what I wanted to be. So obviously you want to, if you're trying to be a better basketball player, you're probably not going to go to you know a soccer player and ask him for tips about a basketball but some of those people may be able to give you tips on how to meet that basketball player and you know eventually they can help build you up. Um, for me, um, my first security officer that I truly had the opportunity to work for uh, was Lieutenant Commander jo Dodge, but he was a lieutenant back then. He was a lieutenant on the USS John C. Stennis. Um, he just, he's the one that told me and put me in the right predicaments on the carrier. And that's what started my progression and growth. Um, then my next mentor, he he does he probably doesn't know that you know he's someone I look up to, but uh, Lieutenant Rico Taylor, um, now Lieutenant Commander Rico Taylor, uh, especially as a African American man man in the uh, United States Navy, I looked up to him a lot. And then one of my best friends, he's now uh, Lieutenant JG Dominique Adams. He is currently out in Norfolk. He. When I first was headed to um, the John C. Stennis, uh, I was on Facebook on like an MA, you know, sponsorship page, and I asked one of my friends like who was stationed on the USS John C. Stennis, and Dominique Adams, um, he got on there. He's like, "Hey, I'm headed there." I found out that he's an MA2 over at um, Swiftback, which is a a Marine and Navy Joint Command. They kind of protect the ballistic submarines out there uh, in Washington State. But uh, he told me, hey, I'm headed there. I'm an MA2, but I'm going to make MA1 this cycle. And I was an MA3 at the time, and I was like, look, well, I'm making MA2 this cycle. And just that right there showed me and motivated me that, hey, me and this guy are going to get along well. Um, we ended up running things on the carrier. Between him and I, we just took over. And you know, achieved a lot, and I, I've leaned on him since that was 2015, and still to this day, I, I talk to him almost weekly. Not even just about um, things regarding the Navy, but being a father, being you know, becoming a naval officer, um, just life in general, being a t being a man, learning how to be a better son, um, a man of God. I kind of had to lean on him a lot uh, about all that stuff. Um, my biological father and my stepdad, they're both in the Navy. My biological father was a, retired as a senior chief, culinary specialist, mostly on DDG. So he kind of gave me the blueprints on how to be successful here on DDG, how to stand out, um, what to look for. Um, and my stepdad, he's a retired YNC on submarines. He pushed me a lot. He gave me a he he's the one who instilled the work ethic that I have um, and I would say there, there's I have countless ones you know between security officers you as a slow sir um, I have people that I lean on who are lower ranking than me uh, which who have kept me grounded for you know reminded me where I came from that just because I may be on a fast track or you know, I'm picking up rank or I've been selected for LDO. Like, don't forget where I came from. Um, remember the hard work that got me here. Remember what those guys are doing that, you know, are keeping the base safe, keeping the ship safe, keeping just personnel safe. So I'd say I have a countless, sir. Yeah, you know, and it's it's always the, the people that you meet and unexpected places that you kind of you pick up mentorships for. Like, I've made connections through email and picked up mentor, uh, mentorships through that like just at uh, like Navy symposiums and events and just through other networks and people so it's, it's, it's 
strange how life works out. But internet, Facebook, Facebook, yeah, you know, like it's it's history. crazy. But I I've really enjoyed. I guess thank you. It's an honor to be considered one of your mentors. Yes, sir. I know Lieutenant Sturkenberg is too. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, we want the best for you, and you know that. And we've we've had our more more private one on one talks about leadership and stuff like that. But yes, sir. I mean, you're gonna go far. So, um, but you talked about becoming a better son, a better father, a better man of God. Um, how do you learn that on your own? And your your son is uh, just turned one mm-hmm. and is now walking. And what have you learned about being a father over the last year, especially being a father? that is in the Navy and active duty? Ooh, uh, I would say being a parent um, in general has been a blessing, you know. Uh, seeing so much of myself in him, and he's only one, seeing my personality, seeing my smile on something that, you know, me and his mother created. Um, it, it's been difficult, obviously, at times where you know, sometimes you just wish you were home to see the first steps. Yes, he did just turn one. I, I missed out on his first birthday, but, you know, I'm still able to, A, financially support him. And I've surrounded my son with my family. You know, his mother is a great mother, taking, you know, very well care of him. It's sometimes difficult to swallow that pill and bring myself back to reality that, I, you know, I still have a job to do, but I know at the end of the day that he's taken care of, and this, my mother told me, short-term sacrifices for long-term payoffs, and this, this deployment is a short-term sacrifice, this time away from now is only gonna, you know, be able to help me provide for my family, um, whether it's a bigger home, whether it's, you know, quality of life, or just, anything in general I'll be able to take care of my son and it's 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 just that one step better than you know what I had as a kid but I knew my mother did whatever she could to take care of us but her like I said her her trailblazing this path for me to set me up so now I can set my son up to be better um for me my situation a little bit more difficult because his mother is also active duty and she's also an MA so it's been a little difficult you know, trying to find that balance between the two of us, but it, if you speak to the right people, if you bring it up to your chain of command's attention, if you let them know, hey, these are concerns, and, you know, you just have faith that everything will work out, it, it always does. So, my son's good, you know, his mother's okay, doing great, she's taking care of herself, taking care of him, that's all I can ask for. Yeah, and I always enjoy the updates about your son because um, it's pretty cool seeing. Because um, I remember when your son was born, mm-hmm. and uh, you were just like over the moon. So it's really exciting, like see him grow up and see you become a better, you know, grow as a father too. So, um, but on the ship, um, as CMAA, as AATO, what are kind of your like daily responsibilities? Um. So. Uh, for the military people who may understand, um, as a chief master at arms or just master at arms, um, my job is to maintain good order and discipline. Um, a lot of people think that a lot of MAs, all they ever do is, you know, cops and robbers. They see us, you know, in the patrol units on base. They see us, you know, cuffing people, doing traffic stops, but... The MA rate has so much more, especially here on the DDG as a Chief Master at Arms. It's an independent duty, so for those who aren't familiar, that's I'm the only MA here on this boat. Uh, whereas a carrier, you have upwards of 90 plus MAs who are able to help support the same mission I'm essentially doing here, just on a a little bit smaller of a scope. Um, so I'm responsible for the legal program. Uh, at least advising the legal officers to the CO of, you know, people who violate the Uniform Code of Military Justice. I'm responsible of the Ship Self-Defense Force. So as a primary uh, anti-terrorism training supervisor, I train every single person on the ship how to defend the ship, how to stand a proper watch, how to shoot a gun, 
how to utilize non-lethal weapons, how to identify any type of threats, any asymmetrical threats that you know the Navy deals with or has dealt with, we can prevent, detect, or deter. You know, to a so the people who are on here sleeping can sleep well at night, and b when we're out here, on, you know, during deployment, you know, we can protect the ship if need be. Um, as the assistant ATO, my responsibility is, you know, to maintain um, this program. A lot of people don't understand how important it is, and I would say that sometimes the Navy, you know, puts the AT wharf area, you know, on the back burner, but they do take it serious. The, you can tell they take it serious by the amount of trainings we have. Um, not only just like the, the Navy e-learning, the the drills and whatnot, but you could tell the, I guess, just the magnitude and money they put into the overall program to take care of people, its units, its assets. So um, my job is to make sure that we're in compliance with all the instructions and the references that we have, whether it's from just our own generated instructions or if they're from the higher headquarters, 7th Fleet, 3rd Fleet, you know, Pack Fleet, U.S. Fleet Forces, we have a bunch of references that I have to ensure that we're in compliance with to protect the ship. Um, I am also responsible for, um, like I said, helping and assisting with the gunner's mate, you know, teach people how to shoot guns, and who doesn't like to shoot guns, it's kind of fun, whether it's the big ones or the little ones, you know, I'm helping out, um, and so there's a little other things, you know, I do birth inspections, which is always fun I'm walking around taking care of sailors making sure the uniforms are squared away um, and just you know setting the tone for everyone so you talked about shooting guns and uh, and it's it anti-terrorism is is tense and, and being behind that gun is tense um, I remember you telling me a story of you being on a gun in uh, in the Gulf um, you want to tell that story to people at home and how, how, how scared it is, how scary it is being shot at? Uh, you're probably one of the few people on the ship that's actually been shot at. I wasn't necessarily shot at, but I had the weapon pointed at me. Uh, yeah. and it, at, growing up in Hawaii, there's, you, you hardly ever hear about, you know, guns, gun violence. It's more so, you know, fighting. Um, you might get the occasional stabbing, but... Most of the time in Hawaii, it's almost like MMA, junior featherweights out there. So uh, when I joined the Navy, um, I wasn't exposed as most people are to, you know, firearms or guns and whatnot. Um, but being an MA, I kind of got thrown into the shark tank. It was like, hey, now you got to learn all about them. You got to know uh, how to treat them. Um, they're not necessarily toys, but they're a tool. Um so my first command at mobile security i was stationed on the uss ponce and we were doing you know normal routine operations out there in the fifth fleet um but there was a, a one night we had uh <laughs> i was sleeping in my rack I, I was 18 years old i just got done with all my training you know super motivated um super excited to do my job but i just got off you know 12 to 14 hour watch um standing in that hot blazing sun out there in the you know fifth fleet AOR and I just remember you know hearing quick draw quick draw and uh quick draw for that boat was one of you know the pro words for hey we have a small boat threat um so I ended up running up you know to my mount I didn't even think about it I rolled out of my rack I was only in my underwear you know I'm not gonna lie I was only in my underwear I had to put my shirt on, I just strapped some boots on my feet, no socks, ran out there to my gun mount. I put on my vest and put on my helmet, and I, I don't know why, but I just had so much adrenaline in my body. Um, and I just remember sitting there and I saw the these small facts, which is a fast attack craft, which is these super small boats, um, and they were waving these uh, their country's flag. Um, I, never seen anything like it and it just seemed like there was at least six to seven eight of them just surrounding us and all the training that I went through is kind of scary 
um, because this is like this is why we're here. This is, we're here to defend these type of things, and this is real. It's happening. Um, and I remember one of them. We're trained as MAs that when you see a weapon, your your tension is already heightened, and then for them to be pointed at you, it's it's a whole different game. But you know the use of force and you know rules of engagement uh we weren't authorized you know to handle that type of things um and i just remember all of a sudden i had my chief you know, <laughs> chief murchison mac he's retired now he came and he grabbed me off of the mount and i just remember i don't remember anything and i was like what happened and at that point i i it's kind of embarrassing, but I ended up uh, urinating on myself because I had a sensory overload. Because um, there was just so much happening, and I had so much adrenaline going through me uh, that it happened. And I remember my chief uh, grabbed me, and he's like, hey, my call sign was bobblehead. And he said, bobblehead, like, what are you doing? You can't hear your radio? And I was like, no, no, chief, I didn't hear you. He's like, the CEO said, stand down on your weapon, and he wanted you to back up, and you weren't responding, so I had to come and grab you. And uh, for most people, you may not know, or you may know, but uh, that's that's a prime definition of going in the black, which is something that you know we teach people to. We train people how to identify yourself going into the black, or identify someone else going in the black, so you can bring them back into the fight. And uh, going into black is a sensory overload, whether you have tunnel vision, whether you have sensory uh, or audio disclosure, like you you can't hear anything. Um, your fine motor skills kind of go away. You're just not thinking. You're almost a deer in the headlights, essentially. Um, but my chief took me down back to the birthing. Uh, he told me go shower, obviously. Um, and I remember he said, hey, get some rest. Uh, and he ended up going to talk to the captain about what happened. The next morning I woke up and I remember uh, my MA1 uh, called me down to the birthing. And as a young MASR, you know, if you're getting called by your MA1, it wasn't really that great. Um, regardless of how small that team was, I, I was always told you, if you're going to see Chief or you're going to see MA1, you're in trouble. And I remember he sat me down, and he pulled out a piece of paper, he said, uh, this is a counseling shit. And for those who don't know, counseling shits aren't normally known for being the greatest thing in the world. You're, uh, it could be viewed as like a discussion with your superior, and they're letting you know like, hey, these are your faults, these are your deficiencies, and they they're utilized to help build you up and it's a form of documentation um, so MA1 said sit down let's talk and uh, he got there close I looked at the paperwork he said read it and uh, it turned out being a good counseling shit it was the first and only good counseling shit I've ever gotten and uh, it was I guess the captain was proud that I was able to respond as fast as I did regardless of you know I wasn't wearing the proper uniform of the day but he was just proud that I was able to wake up at the time of the night that I did, hurry up, get on the mount, and um, he wanted to reward me, or he wanted my chain of command to reward me. So I ended up getting a 24-hour special ed, and to most people that ain't a big deal, but um, I was able to, you know, be proud, and everyone kind of patted me on the back like, hey, good job, young buck. I, at that point, I only been at my command for maybe a week or so, and I was straight out there, sent out there, so to be able to do that... Uh, it's kind of a big deal, I guess, in their eyes, and it kind of set the tone for the rest of my career that, hey, just do the right thing, you'll be all right. Yeah, you kind of earned your keep, and, uh, you know, all those people that uh, are out there, you know, play CSGO or Call of Duty, all that, think like, oh, yeah, I could totally get shot at, like, mm -hmm. probably going to piss yourself. Yeah, this is real life, you know, it's a different different uh, ballpark, you know? Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely uh, real different, but... Talking about video games, you're a gamer, so at sea, at home, what are kind of some of the some of the games that you play? Um, what are you kind of into? Uh, I'm a huge uh, console gamer, uh, so for the most part, I'm playing Call of Duty uh, with some of my friends from all over the world. It's been a way for me to decompress. Uh, I play Apex, Madden, 2K, um, but now that I've had a son, I've had to dial it back. Obviously, you know, being a dad is first. Um, but I always find time, like maybe, you know, an hour here and there to get on there, decompress, and, uh, that's always fun. It's always fun to be on there. Yeah, well, and you, uh, admitted it a couple days ago in the office, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna expose you right now. 
Uh, you're a League of Legends nerd too, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I get down on there a little bit. Yeah. What What got you into that? Um. So the honest truth, sir. Um. I had a HT3 Obietta. Um. He was one of my sailors in my section on the USS John C. Stennis, and. Uh, I found out that he wasn't going out on Liberty because he didn't have a Liberty buddy because all he wanted to do was uh, go to a computer lounge. Um, I found out that, you know, all he did was play this game called League of Legends, um, which, you know, i never heard of. I've always, I wouldn't say, I'd say I'm a church league athlete, you know. I like to go out, play football, play basketball, but nothing more serious than that. Um, but... When I found out this guy didn't really have any friends, one day I wasn't really doing anything. I didn't want to go out, you know, do the typical, you know, thing where go, people go out and just get drunk and do crazy things. I, I was like, hey, I'll go out with you. So he took me to this computer lab and uh, we sat there for like an hour. And at first I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what I was looking at. And uh, next thing you know, I kind of just practiced it, kept going in, kept going there with him. Uh, for the next two or three days and then from there I kind of got hooked it's kind of addicting uh, I've been playing it for like six seven years now uh, off and on just playing it I still play with him to this day every once in a while so it's been yeah. fun yeah it's a strategy in my RPG so I, I, hey, I don't fault you everybody's got their own thing you know like you just gotta find your thing that you gotta vibe with out here and you gotta it's what keeps you sane, right? Yes, sir. So, uh, you also talked about, like, earning your keep and, uh, like, kind of kind of becoming, like, the big dog from Little Dog. Um, you're running a class called Surf Bravo right now, um, Security Reaction Force Basic. What are kind of, like, the... You're, you're our primary training supervisor for anti-terrorism. Yes, so sir. So, what, what are kind of the things that are, are run over in Surf Bravo and, like, what about OC spray? Like, people oh, always talk about that. Yes, sir. So, uh, Surf Bravo is a two-week course that uh, is ran throughout the Navy, but here um, on a DDG. Um, the first couple days is all about um, introducing sailors who've never had any experience to the anti-terrorism, I guess, wharf area. We go over um, non-lethal weapons. We go over subject communication, hand-to-hand -hand combat. Um, de-escalatory uh, ways of handling a situation that could be very stressful um, at the end of the week uh, the first week we teach people how to be a proper sentry how to hold a weapon um, how to take someone down it's with uh, some of these moves called mocks uh, which are mechanical advantage control holds um, so they learn how to defend themselves for the most part there with or without a, um, a weapon um, the second week is more so of the the firearms where we teach these personnel how to deal with uh, how to properly manipulate the weapon, whether it's shooting the M9, whether it's shooting the M4, M500, uh, the different shooting uh, positions, whether it's the prone, the kneeling, the standing, how to carry it, how to reload, how to aim. Um, we also go through a couple PowerPoints where we show and we explain to sailors the importance of standing a proper watch what their purpose is a lot of people when they're standing watch nowadays don't resort back to what their true purpose is um, and when we do even just a small training show on the PowerPoint of you know the USS Mahan where uh, MA2 male passed away or we show them you know some of the other incidents like the shipyard incidents or on joint base barber hit we, we tell people what active shooters are we show them how to handle those type of situations we show them what an IED which is improv improvised explosive device we show them how to identify and mitigate and you know protect other people from you know going to those type of areas um, where their IEDs are placed so it's been uh it's been fun we're in uh, day four of this class um, all my students are very motivated because a lot of them, they've never had this type of training. They come in the Navy, think they're, they're going to be a cook, and they're just going to be cooking eggs or OSs. They just think they're going to be sitting in combat, you know, watching a radar spin around, and then for them to get, you know, their hands on a weapon or um, learning how to take someone down. They, You see these people get really excited about uh, the warfare area. And uh, for me as a trainer, it kind of, you know, fills you up with joy because it's like, 
you have the ability to impact a sailor's career just by setting the tone there. They're coming to your class, you explain to them, you know, like I said, the reason why they're standing to watch. What happens if they don't stand a proper watch? Um, how to protect themselves. A lot of these people probably never been in a fight a day in their life or ever shot a weapon. So for them to get this experience, they kind of changes their mindset on the Navy. They think it's more than just, you know, standing duty, doing sweepers. They, they see a bigger picture in all this. Yeah. So uh, we're going to do a little quick rapid fire session to, to end uh, this interview. So uh, this is a segment I like to call People Are Asking. So questions I've heard around the ship, uh, questions people might have asked you in your time on the ship. So we'll, we'll start easy and get a little harder as we go on. So uh, first one is uh, MA1. Mm -hmm. uh, what was your OC spray experience like? Huh. OC, uh, I would say the day I got sprayed, I'd probably say it's the worst day of my life. Uh, the pain, um, a lot of people, if you don't mentally prepare yourself, you know, of what you're getting ready to endure, um, then you go in there and it's, it's going to put you on your butt. It's going to, you know, hurt you a little bit. Um, but with the training we were given at MAA school, you you just realize that you're in a fight. You, you got to get through. So there's no giving up. There's no, you know... I guess you could do it over again, but that'd be kind of silly to do it twice. You might as well just get through it. But um, I just had to get through it. Um, I was probably done within three or four minutes, like the typical OC course, you know. Um, so that was that. And uh, what was the other part of the question again, sir? Uh, next one is uh, MA1. Uh, why can BM1 Felton outbend you? <laughs> B1 Felton probably came out the womb out, <laughs> out bench pressing uh, a, a lot of these NFL players. He's a big, hefty man, but, you know, that's my workout partner. So I'm trying to catch up. And, you know, I got to eat my vegetables and drink my milk and my juicy juice. And I'll catch up to him one day. Maybe your bones will be strong <laughs> enough. How, how much does he bench? How much do you bench? Um, he benches upwards of four or 500 pounds. Uh, I'm repping 315 four or five times. So I'm getting there. Yeah, well, maybe you'll be as big as him someday. Maybe he'll be as big as me at some someday. It's okay, but like uh, yes, MA one, um, what smells worse, uh, VCHT overflowing in your uh, birthing, mm -hmm. or you farting when you uh, crop dust the uh, weapons office? Oh wow, uh, <laughs> I'd say VCHT, sir, because it lingers a lot longer. I, <laughs> wrong. I'm looking directly at the mic. Wrong. <laughs> I've had to walk out of the weapons <laughs> office multiple times because of you. I told you. I'm, I'm exposing to, you. I'm trying to catch up to be more Felton, so it's just the protein, sir. I it's, it's all the protein it's shakes? It's all the protein, yes, sir. Mm, with, all, with all the protein I've seen in the mail recently, I haven't seen nearly as oh, much from you. Oh, man, yes, sir. All right, last question to end the interview on this. Uh, people are asking, people are asking MA1, uh, why has it been over 20 years since the Dallas Cowboys have won a Super Bowl? Cool. Uh... That's a great question, sir. Uh, I would <laughs> lean towards uh, someone's paying the refs. Someone's got to be paying the refs because the Cowboys, you know, I've never been the type of fan to say, oh, we're going to the Super Bowl, but do I feel like the past five to ten years that we should have gone to the Super Bowl? One thousand percent. We've had some solid teams, but uh, I would just say that we've been unlucky. We're going to get there, though. Yeah. <laughs> How about them boys, right? How about them? Every, every year – you guys do really, really well, or or you have like those really average years where you go like eight and eight, and then like MA one being from Hawaii is Cowboys fan. Go figure on that one, but Dialogue. I'm a Commanders fan. <laughs> I don't get it. I, I'm used to like mediocrity. You just are like, oh, we're gonna make the playoffs. We're gonna make the Super Bowl. Erat, erat. <laughs> just have a little faith in my boys right there. We're we gonna make it though. <laughs> no. Well, MA1, thank you for joining me for this interview. Yes, awesome sir. interview. Uh, I've been waiting a while to get you on the show. Yes, so sir. thanks for coming on the Bodar Blast, and uh, keep doing you. It was a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Thanks. And that was MA1 more uh, for our interview, so thank you so much for coming on, MA1. I uh, appreciate you uh, answering some tough questions at the end there. I know that you'll give me some crap about it later on after the uh, 
after the interview process is over. But uh, I appreciate it, and uh, congrats to him, by the way. Like like we said during the interview, he's going to be in some more very soon. Uh, hopefully very, very soon. And uh, I can't wait to attend your commissioning, um, if I'm able to. And uh, I'm very proud of you, MA1. So uh, uh, to everybody listening out there that has worked with MA1, uh, you you know the you you know the real deal, and he he is the real deal. So um, proud to work with you. Uh, I've, I'm proud to learn from you, and uh, thank you so much for coming on the pro- on the podcast. Um, closing out the show, uh, I've been looking at our social media. I've seen uh, a lot of responses to this. Please remember that you can sp- uh, continue to stream this on DVIDs, but you can also stream this on Spotify and Google Podcasts and download from there as well. So. Make sure that uh, you go on there, too, if it's a little bit easier for you to get this podcast. In addition, if you have a sailor that you'd like to listen to on the podcast or listen to an interview or a segment with them uh, or have a question for them for our question and answer segment, uh, please reach out to our ombudsman, Miss Sleesman, and she can get in contact with me with uh, any questions that you guys want to ask uh, for the show. Um, didn't get any questions this time around, at least not recently, Uh so please continue to send your question in, uh, questions into the show, and uh, I'll be very happy to get somebody that can answer them or I can answer them. Um, but it is always a pleasure bringing this show to you uh, from the USS Decatur. Uh, I'm Lieutenant Junior Grade Daniel Ehrlich. I'll see you guys next time, and we're halfway through this. So we'll be back very soon, and I hope to see you all there.